Salvation is defined biblically. We use the word salvation. We talk about born again. Another word is regeneration. When you see the word uh, uh, salvation, we're talking about being rescued from the domain of darkness. We're being rescued from the power of Satan and sin in our life. And we're being delivered to the kingdom of light to become a child of God, to walk in a fresh new way. So people that uh, say, hey, I've been saved. We made this observation last week. How can you say that you've asked Jesus to save you when you ignore his advice to lead you? Everything in Scripture right here are not suggestions. They're more commands, and they're more statements that God wants to coach us up. So when I say that I have been saved, I'm saying, hey, I've been rescued from, I've been delivered to. Not only do I trust this Savior who died and raised on the third day to pay for my sin, but I trust him to lead me, and I'm going to follow all of his advice. We talked about baptism. is that first step of obedience after I've experienced salvation. In baptism, what I'm doing is making a public declaration that I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dying, and Christ is now alive inside of me. And now what I'm saying to the world is I'm following Jesus, and I want you to know that Christ is my Lord, my master. He's the one that calls the shots, which lead us into this whole concept of lordship. When we talk about Jesus being Lord, we're saying that he is the authority. He is the master of my life. I've given the reins and rule to him. He calls the shots, which leads me then to assurance. And assurance is where now I know who I belong to, whose I am, who's leading me. And I don't have to walk through life guessing and wishing. I, I can say, I, I know I'm going to spend eternity with God. I know that I am a, uh, his sheep. He is the great shepherd. Nobody will ever be able to pluck me out of his hand. What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Nothing can. I belong to the king. I can walk in assurance. Why? Because I've experienced God's salvation on God's terms. And I know that I followed him in obedience. And I just didn't ask him to save me. I now follow his advice every day to lead me. Now, once that happens, if you're a brand new believer and I was sitting down with you, here's where I would walk you through uh, after salvation, baptism, assurance, and lordship. This is what I would walk you through right here, the next steps, and I would coach you up, and I would say, I'm so excited for you. You have come to a relationship in Christ, and you've been given, spiritually speaking, uh, uh, a new birth, and you belong to a new family. And uh, it, it's because Jesus was willing to pay the penalty for your sin, and Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price for your sin, and because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, when he raised on the third day, he seated at the right hand of the Father, he lives to make intercession. You, you belong to God now, and that's good news. It's amazing grace that that God would love you and love me. It blows my mind. And then I would coach you up in this way. I would tell you the universal verse, Man, I want you to memorize it, and I want you to know it so that you can apply it and just walk in it and wallow in it over the next few days. John 3, 16, you would say, yeah, i got to know that verse. And if you don't know it, I encourage you this week, hey, meditate and memorize on this scripture. But God so loved the world. Who's he talking to, Nicodemus? Who was Nicodemus, a religious guy? But Nicodemus was lost. He comes to Jesus at night. He wants to start this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, Nick, you got to be born again. And Nick's like, how can a person my age be born again? Can I crawl back in my mom's womb and do a, a mulligan and have a do-over? And he goes, no, I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You've got to be born in the spirit of God. And he goes, well, how does that happen? And Jesus lays it out to Nicodemus. And then he says, Nicodemus, God so loved the world 
that he sent his one and only, only begotten, one-of-a-kind son. Here I am, that whoever believes in me will never perish, but will have everlasting life. Nicodemus, are you willing to believe in me? Are you willing to repent, meaning turn from any other system of a belief, any other thing that you're plugging into? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to receive me and believe me? Believe means, in Greek, the word pistis, it means to be persuaded to action. Are you willing to believe? And if you do, the scripture says you become a new person. You're born again and you're saved. Man, I'm being rescued from, I'm being delivered to. Now, here's where I want to go. What happens when a person is born again? If you're working with a brand new believer, Patrick and Melanie, some of y'all were downtown again yesterday doing homeless ministry. You're working with a brand new believer. Rick Kerr, as you go through this with young kids, they're coming in there, man, they're, 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 for the first time they're being introduced to Christ. I wish somebody would have sat down and just laid the Gerber's bottom shelf, just simple stuff on, on a plate for me. Do, do, you need to get this today. Hey, you, so you've been born again, Tracy? I'm so proud of you. Andrew, you've been born again. I'm so proud of you. You're yielding, surrendering. I, I'm so proud of you. So, so what does that mean? Well, you may look the same. You may feel the same physically. But I can tell you internally, some things are starting to change. And I will give you some truths. Now, now, follow me. You've got to believe this. You've got to anchor your hope on this. Here it starts. The scripture says you're new. If any person is in Christ, any man, woman is in Christ, meaning they've repented, they've responded to Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old is gone, Dan. Behold, all things are new. So again, you will hear us say that God, when he saves us, God is not about just making you a better version of the old you. He's about making a new version of what you've never been. He wants to make you new. You're new. So what becomes new, Tim? Well, the scripture says that one of the things that's new is that you're now a child of God. John 1, 12, memorized this verse. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Who, who's a child of God? You'll hear people on media and these newscasts, and you'll see Bono, Bono with some of the stuff that he did with you 2 and this one movement, and hey, the Jews and the Christians and and the Muslims should come together because we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. But you only become a child of God through receiving Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. How do you become a child of God? I've got to be born again, just like Jesus told Nicodemus. Who's got to be born again? Every person. And when I do, I become a child of God. Who, who are you? My truest identity when I wake up in the morning is not being a husband, and it's not being a dad, and it's not being a lead pastor of a church. My truest identity when I wake up in the morning, Tom, is that I am a child of God. Man, if you could get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, I'm a child of God. I have received Jesus, I have believed. I have been persuaded to take action. I'm a child of God. 
Well, what else is new, Tim? Well, you now have God's spirit living inside of you. You were born into the world based on Ephesians 2. Dead in your sin and your trespasses. You were born dead spiritually. But Romans chapter 8 says, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father. We are God's children. God was so kind that when I repented and fell on my face and surrendered, he goes, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to pour my Paracletus, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. The very presence, Tim, of, that, that, that existed in Jesus now existing you. The person of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the power to say no to temptation. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The same power that existed in the hands when he touched blinded eyes. Now exists in you. Tim, you're new. Man, you're a child of God and now you have God's spirit. I do? Yes. I want you to walk in the spirit. And I want you to understand the manifestation of the spirit. See, when the Spirit of God is alive in you, it's going to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God's Spirit is alive. Tim, Tim, let me tell you something. You've got God's Spirit inside of you. And based on Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witness. And you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts, in Loganville, in Gwinnett, Walton, wherever you go throughout Georgia, throughout the U.S., throughout the globe. You're my witness now because you've got God's Spirit inside of you. Do you realize for the born again, the saved, the regenerated, God gives us his spirit, don't miss it, is the manifestation of the fruit of the spirit operating in your life today? Do people see you and go, spirit of God is alive there. It's so fun to see the growth in people. It's so fun to see where the spirit drew just starts to take off and take root. Brandy, it is so amazing to see the transformation in a girl's life who really surrenders to Christ. I was like, man, I'm so proud of that girl. Since she surrendered, she's God's child. That's the truest thing about her. She wakes up in the morning. She's got God's spirit inside. And he says, you can call him Abba, Daddy, Father. L listen to this. What's your view of Father? What's your view of Daddy? Randomly on social media on Thursday, I get a note. Tim, this girl, her name was, I'll call her, call her Eve. Eve Cash Smith. We'll call her that. But her name was Cash. Eve Cash. She writes me a note and she goes, uh, hey, uh, I don't know, but I heard that I have a lot of family in Georgia. And some friend reposted something that you had written. And I read it and I thought, I wonder if that's like a distant cousin of mine. I, I'm not looking for anything. But did you have a grandfather by the name of Claudie? You talking about rednecks. My grandfather was a twin. Claudie and his twin sister was Maudie and they had no middle names. <laughs> I'm telling you. And I love my papa. He had a second grade education and came to faith in Christ later in life, and me and him did life together, but his name was Claudie. And she says, was your grandfather's name Claudie? 
And she said, because my dad came from a previous relationship he had before he met the grandmother that you would have had. And to my knowledge, she had six kids. And I said, well, he doesn't. Because my pa hooked up with some other girl. And he had a son by the name of Bobby. And Bobby did live in Texas for a period of time. And this is where this girl's writing from. And I'm reading this going, wow. And then my pa hooked up with my grandmother, Mary. And they had six kids. Earl, my dad, was the oldest. And I'm reading through this going, this girl is writing saying, I don't know, but are we related? And I'm like, yes, we have the same grandpa. So I wrote her back, and I said, I met your dad, Bobby. I met him. And uh, when's the last time you had interaction with your dad? She said he left when I was 14 and I never saw him again. And I'm sitting there going, I wonder what her view of daddy is. I wonder what her view of Bobby is, father. Did, did you have a brother named Tommy that killed himself? Because I had to take my papa, Claudie, up to Canton years ago when I was living in Noonan to a funeral, and it was, it was, it was painful. I'll never forget that. 18-year-old boy I had to drive my pops up there because Bobby's son stuck a gun in his head. Is that, is that your brother? She goes, yes. So we started this interaction. And, and it did. It hit me. I'm like, all right, so here is my view of father. And then she says uh, she got to meet grandfather a couple of times in her life, and I hung out with the dude all the time. So not only did she not have father in a healthy, defined way, grandfather was a jacked-up term for her as well. See, see, for some of us, when we read Romans 8, we, we get there, and it's like, you can call him Abba, Daddy, Father, Papa. And if an earthly male jacked up your view of God, I am so sorry today. If somebody abandoned you, abused you, hurt you, I'm so sorry. Because some of you in this room, both male and female, were hurt deeply. And so when you think of God as Father, and when they said, teach us to pray, and Jesus said, when you pray, say our and it's a jacked up view for you. But I want to tell you that Abba, Father in heaven, is loving. He's caring. He made you in his image. Sin disrupted humanity at every level. And if you were abused and rejected and neglected and beat up, I can promise you there is a Father that loves you deeply today. He cares about you, He made you in his image. You're made in the image of that father. He redeemed you with his own blood, the blood of his son. You, you, you matter today. And if I'm discipling people and I'm walking them through, I'm getting right here and going, hey, 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 listen to me. That God is good. That father is good. That father gives good gifts. That father never, he even says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Allow the true God to redefine what Father looks like today for you.
What's new? I'm a child of God. What's new? I'm a... I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. The God that poured out his spirit when Jesus cried out and bowed his head and gave us the spirit. I got that spirit. Yes, you got the spirit today. Let him lead you. Now, here's another. What, what, what else is new? I'm a part of a new family. Let me just hit this for a second. I'm a part of a new family. What's the family? It's called the church. What's the church? In the Greek, it's the word ecclesia. What does that mean? Those who belong to the Lord. Those who have repented and those who have responded and those who have received. You're a part of the church. The church? Yes, the church. If I repent, receive, and believe. That's what he says. The early church. Check out the practice. Every day, they continued to meet together. Did life together. They broke bread and they ate together. They were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. They, 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 they were, they that believed. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were, they got together. When you go back and study the early church, even those earliest followers, they would sell off what they had. They would bring it together and say, hey, we're in this thing together. There, there's not that many of us. But if we pull together, we can pull strong. And, and if we take care of each other, there, there's no telling what God can do through us. So they did. And, and one of the things that you'll see is that they were caring for each other. They were praying for each other. They were sharing what they had. If, if all of us came together, every one of us, I'm talking about people that are here somewhat consistently, and all of us said, hey, I'm all in when it came to giving, serving, sharing. We're all in. We're in this thing together. What would it look like? There's some under my voice right now that if you took what you gave last year and multiplied it by 10, you wouldn't be able to live for a week. Let me clarify that statement again. Some of y'all under my voice, if you took what you gave last year, uh, last year for an entire calendar year and multiplied it by 10, you wouldn't be able to live for a week. You're robbing God you're robbing the community. Some of us are pulling the load for some of the rest of y'all. Now, some of y'all have been around the faith. That's the reason I said last week, oh, and we said it again. You can't say that you've trusted Jesus to save you when you ignore his advice to lead you. They were having favor. They were seeing people added to the fellowship every day. They were because they were all in. They said, we're a part of the same team. We're a part of the same family. We're a part of the same community. We're new, but we're in this thing together. So to me, that's the reason when you look at it, you go, give. Nobody's going to rob God and rip God off. If you rip God off, you'll steal from me. We're going to serve. Serving without boundaries. 
We're taking the gospel to the streets. We're, we're going we're gonna to share our faith. Your story matters. We're, we're going to take that gospel to the streets. Who? All of us. Because I'm a part of the new com uh, community and a new family, the church. Now, what else is new, Tim? I have a new purpose, and my purpose is to glorify God. Based on 1 Corinthians 10, based on Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do in word, deed, do it for the glory of God. Whether you eat, whether you drink, do it for the glory of God. I've got a new purpose. What's your new purpose? Glorify God. It's impossible. It's impossible to glorify God and be a gluttoner. It's impossible to glorify God and be a drunk. Because whatever you do, whether in word, deed, food, drink, do it for the glory of God. There is no way you can get freaking hammered every day for the glory of God. You can't drink like a guppy and be a guppy for Jesus. You can't do it. Because you've got a new purpose. What's your new purpose? Glorify God. Are you glorifying God? So if I'm taking a brand new disciple through, oh, you've experienced salvation, good. You've moved into baptism, great, man. You've made a public declaration that you belong to the king, awesome. Now we've moved into assurance and lordship. He's your master. He's calling the shots. You're walking. Yes, now welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Yes. What's the responsibilities? What are we doing around here? And I'm not saying... Like we did everything right. Matter of fact, I know we jacked up a lot of stuff in the process. But when Barb taught our kids to wash and dry clothes and fold their own clothes when they were six years old, for some people they're like, that's child abuse. Are you nuts? When we sat down to eat, you've got the water. Because we don't drink Coke and tea and all this stuff in our house. We drink water. You've got the silverware and plates. When we're done... You've got this. Clean it up, wash it off, put it in the dishwasher, grab the broom. We didn't ask you if you wanted to. You're part of the family. If you eat off this table, you help serve this table. You help clean up this table. And that's the reason when people come here, we try to right-size their expectations of what it means to be a, a part of the Cross Loganville. Well, I just like coming in here and just sitting around and doing nothing. You lazy bum. Check yourself. Tell me how that's glorifying God. That ain't working. Now, let me tell you this. We got to disciple people. And most people have never been discipled. So Dallas, when we look at this right here, most people have never, they've not had one person sit them down and go, all right, I want to coach you up. We're going to go through this. This is online. You can do this with your kids. You, you can do this with a, a brand new convert. You can do it with a small group. I promise you, every, all of us can. Now, let, let me hit some misconceptions and jog through these kind of quick. There are some misconceptions that must be corrected. Here, here's one that people have. I've heard this one. Uh, becoming a Christian eliminates all my problems, right? Skip, I was at a conference years ago. Barb and I were at this conference, and this girl who was really struggling with her core beliefs and worldview and biblical view or whatever, this is what she told me. She said, here's my concern. If I really surrender my life to Christ and he lets me down, 
I will be forced to have to kill myself. And I said, wow, that's kind of a unique assessment and conclusion. So let me ask you this. So if you really surrender to Christ and he lets you down, you'll be forced to kill yourself because there's nowhere else you can turn. That's what you're saying. She goes, yes. So are you saying that if you come to Jesus and you still experience problems, what you're concluding is problems equal the absence of Christ? Is that what you're saying? She goes, yes. I said, no, 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 no. Jesus said in this world you'll have problems. Getting saved does not immune me from problems. Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin. Come on. He dealt with the penalty. Sin deserves death, and death ultimately was eternal separation, alienation, and damnation. Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin, okay? What else? Jesus dealt with the power of sin. Since I'm now a child of God and I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got Jesus inside of me who never sinned, so he dealt with the power of sin. Sin can no longer reign in my life unless I empower it to do so. Well, why do you still have problems? Because when Jesus died, was buried and raised on the third day, it didn't deal with the presence of sin. Write it down. Penalty? Dealt with. Price paid. Power dealt with, but I still live in a fallen world where Satan is parading his evil demonic forces around. You still deal with the presence of sin? You do too. You do? Yes. And one of the misconceptions that people have, if I give my life to Christ, then I won't have any more problems. I can tell you this. Christianity does not promise the easiest life, but it does promise the best life. And a lot of people in our society are looking for the easiest life. I just want it easy. The old cliche, no pain. Come on. Even Hazel's answering it. On a Sunday morning, representing. All right, here, let, let me hit this one. Another misconception. Becoming a Christian means giving up all my friends. Christianity, in its purest definition, is a relational message. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. Now, the playgrounds, meaning the arenas that I meet with people on, are important. There may be some playmates, friends that you look at saying, the Holy Spirit says, man, you got to walk away from this one because it's so toxic and damaging, it's hindering your walk. you got to be wise. Am I going to have to give up all my friends? I don't know. Not all of them, but you may have to walk away from some of them. Because when you start going in the direction that God is calling you to, sometimes you're like, man, I can't go there anymore. I can't do that anymore. See, see, you can't follow Jesus and keep doing what you did before Jesus. That's a contradiction. He loves you. He cares about you. But But he cares too much to just let you wallow in the stable misery of your sin. A, B, C, D, E. This is something we teach. 
Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Luke 15, when you read, when you read the, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, it all hinges in on Luke 15, 1 and 2, where it says, where it says that the Pharisees and others saw Jesus hanging out with notorious sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, whatever, and they were attacking him. So Jesus gave this teaching. Some of the greatest teachings, Luke chapter 15, about loving people and pursuing things that are lost hinges on Jesus being attacked because he was hanging out with what was called the least of these or thugs or whatever you want to call it, A, B, C, D, and E. I just spent the week, I flew out last Sunday and was in Kansas City, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and flew back Wednesday. And in these meetings, I've known some of these guys for a while, there were some A's. They were apathetic towards spiritual things. I've talked to them, but even after two and three, five years, I start to engage in conversation, and deep down inside, I'm like, that dude is apathetic towards spiritual things. He don't want to talk about it. Cool, but I still got proximity with him. How many A's do you have in your life? Because we're called to be a part of relational restoration and healing and bringing the gospel to people. Then, then you've got B's, and I, and I do, I keep up with this. People that are becoming interested, they haven't repented yet, but they genuinely are becoming interested. Now, the kind of conversations you have with A's and B's vary, but it's like you got some B's in your life. Yeah, I got some B's in my life. Because the worst thing we can do as church folk is only keep C's and E's in our life. C's, they confess Christ, they infant, but they're not growing. This right here is to help kick you in the butt to say, come on, let's grow. You can't stay in infancy all your life. But if you just got saved, being in infancy is okay. But I've got some C's in my life. They confess Christ, they're infant. D's, they're starting to develop as a disciple. And then E's, they're able to equip other people. If I really give my life to Christ, is it going to require me giving up all my friends? You, you may have to walk away from a few of them. But God's called you to be in proximity so that you can be salt and light because you're his witness. And he's given you power to be his witness. Here's a third one. Becoming a Christian will eliminate all my fun. Well, why don't you give me a working definition of fun? If it includes six Advil and a glass of milk first thing in the morning, I can tell you what you did the night before was not fun. It was stupid. Define fun. There may be a habit or a bondage area or an addiction that you've called fun that you know eliminates the power of the Holy Spirit being able to control and patrol your life. Fun for the believer? Don't miss this. Fun is central for me. For me, having fun is central. The joy of the Lord is central for me now. I, I want to walk with unhindered interruptions with the Lord. Don't you? So when the joy of the Lord becomes central, doing those things that please the Father and honor the Father, I'm like, I, I want to do that. For the pagan, and even oftentimes for a carnal believer, the joy of the Lord is peripheral. It's out there. You experience it occasionally, but chaos, confusion is the core. You've got to repent. Jesus wants to be your joy. Is he going to take away fun? No. He gives me a proper definition of fun. The other 
is foolishness at times. Can I still go out and compete? Yes. But don't make it your God. Don't make that your God. Can I still go out and enjoy certain things of the weekend? Yeah, if, ask, the, ask the Holy Spirit. But don't allow anything to corrupt or confuse or contaminate you in your walk with Christ. Jesus, let me go ahead and say it, is not a kill joy. The powers of darkness are. Here's another one. Becoming a Christian means I won't sin anymore. Mm, mm, mm. Again, he saved us from the penalty, the power, but not the presence of sin. Dealing with sin is a lifelong process. Do you still sin, Tim? Yes. Do I want to? No. I made a stupid, condescending statement yesterday morning. I'd only been up for about 30 minutes probably, sipping coffee, something was said. It didn't take me 30 minutes to royally jack it up. And I made a condescending statement that put another individual in negative light. I was like, I jacked it up. And one of my family members rebuked me in front of other people, which ticked me off even more. So then it went from what I said and how I said it to, like, who are you? So I screwed that one up, too. So now I've been up 30 minutes, and I've jacked it up twice. And I was like, you know what? I royally jacked that up. Who am I to make a statement to put another person in negative light? And I told this family member, I said, I jacked it up. Well, I never should have came at you in front of other people. You never would have come at me in front of other people if I had a royally jacked it up. So if you're looking for a perfect pastor, he does not exist here at the Cross Loganville. Now, does he want to sin? No. Did he wake up yesterday going, you know, after about three or four sips of coffee, if I could really show my ignorance... That's the word you got to use there, ignorance. If I show my ignorance. But I'm like, i got to repent of that noise. Listen to 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. Man, I need help every day. I need the Savior to save me every day. From what I'm capable of, Caleb. Come on, man. I can jack it up with the best of them. So, trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your Master, is the greatest decision you'll ever make. Two things. Two things I, I, I hinge on. Now, this is helping you. Welcome to the family. We're, we're, we're wanting to help people grow. Number one, the penalty of our sin has been paid once and for all. Praise God. Number two, you are now under new ownership. You own yourself no longer. You repented. You gave up the title deed. You're owned now by Master Jesus. Two simple things. He wants you to know him. He wants you to grow in grace. John 17 verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I want you to know me. That's what God says. Paul writes, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. I, I want to know him. No, simple, 
Gnosko is the Greek word, which means to experience and encounter at the deepest heart level. Oida means to cognitively kind of hear about, know about vaguely, but I'm talking about Gnosko, no. He goes, I want you to know me. Knowing Jesus Christ is a process. It is not an event. It will take a lifetime and eternity for me to really know and appreciate all that there is to know about Christ. Jeremiah said, don't let the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man of his strength, etc. If you're going to boast, boast that you know God. I'm in the process of knowing God. God wants us to know him. Fundamental, Christianity 101, and your desire to know him is going to lead to your desire to share him. You've got to share him with others. He wants you to grow in grace. A couple verses, 2 Peter, Ephesians 2, 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says, just grow. Grow in that grace. Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not a result of anything that you can bring to the, the dance, nothing of works. You can't, you can't do anything. But God raised us up with Christ and has seated us in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Grace is God extending. God is giving you what you don't deserve. God is giving you what you can never earn. Grace, mercy is God withholding. Man, I deserve this, but God withheld the punishment. Man, I'm so thankful for mercy, but I need grace every day. God extending love, compassion, care, unmerited favor, nothing I could do. Grow in grace. Know the Savior. Know and grow. It's not an event. It's a process. I mean, I've been married for 28 years, and I'm like, man, I'm still knowing Barb and growing with her every day. I'm sure she scratches her head at times going, oh, my God, I thought I had him figured out. And ladies, just quit trying. You can't figure us out. It's not going to work, I promise you. We're mysteries. We're a mystery to ourselves at times. We're not trying to be, but when it comes to knowing Christ, because of our own uh, issues that we battle through, our flesh patterns, it's going to be a process forever. We call it, listen to this, we call it progressive sanctification, which means I am in the process of progressing daily, of being sanctified, which means every day God is setting me apart more and more to be like him. Now here's the close. Essential next steps. Where do I go? What do I do? How, how can I really, uh, how can I really flourish? Now, we here are about building uh, a team approach. We really want to build a team. We want to see the family of God flourish. So one of the greatest ways you're going to grow is getting involved in a small group. When you start doing life with other people, Tara, I remember eight, uh, babe, like eight plus years ago, you just sitting there going, ain't nobody going to know me. And now Tara's leading a small group. I mean, you want to talk about a water-to-wine transformation miracle. Come on, Miss June. Sheila, you know it. You look at her, and you're like, what happened? She got involved in one reluctantly. Then she started getting a little bit further in, Rachel. 
with you guys. And she's like, I'm a small group leader now. And I'm like, how are you going to grow by being in a small group? Steve, my buddy Drew, they're doing this uh, financial freedom, dollars and cents, whatever we're calling it. I mean, we're trying to help people financially. I mean, they had a, a ton of people sign up to meet on Sunday morning, maybe 15. You had 12 there on Monday night because it's like we, we need to create another track. What, what, what we, we're trying to help them. Trying to help them grow. Chad and Elaine are doing a marriage class right now. People have been married just for a few months. People have been married for years who have jacked it up. They're trying to help them grow. Why aren't you up there leading the marriage class, Tim? Because Chad and Elaine are great at it. Steve is great at doing financial. If you hang around with me, you'll say, you're probably one of the most shallow dudes on the staff. Praise God that you do have a team. I would say yes. Some of my friends here that have been faithful sent an email, and, and, and here's the deal. They had a situation, and I felt like, and prayed through it, that because of what my buddy Steve had gone through, he and Patty, with some health issues and how they had to minister to their family, I didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, Steve has been there. He and Patty have walked through it. And the best thing I can do is to say, hey, they're better at doing that than I would be. I've got a title as head pastor, but he's got experience and wisdom in it. And, and when you're building a team, I promise you, our heart is to get you with the best person we can. There, there's a friend in here right now. He contacted me, uh, and we talked on the phone yesterday, and he went through, uh, he went through a tough time. He's, he's a young guy in his, in his late 20s, but he went through a time of, of, of marriage and divorce, and there's been some pain. And he, he said, hey, can we sit down and talk through some stuff? And I said, here's what I want to do. And I pulled my buddy Richard in on, on the conversation, and I said, I'm going to set up a meeting where you and Richard and I sit down, and I'm going to hear, and Richard's going to hear, and we're going to build a team and get you with the right people that can walk with you with what you're going through. Because if I tried to do everything myself, that would be sin. Because some of y'all are more qualified to deal with issues than I am. And if we really do care about the body of Christ, we're just members of, remember, we're just members of the body of Christ. Dan, there's certain things that you can teach that I, let, walk with him right now. Rick, can, he can do certain things in teaching. and pro, He's better than me. Casey, the same thing. Uh, I, I mean, we got to look at it. Dallas, I mean, what y'all are doing with Stronger Body, it's like, man, people are saying, hey, I, I'm getting freed up. Even Chad Daniel told me he ran yesterday. <laughs> that had to look like the infant stages of Forrest Gump. Next time he runs, video and just send it to me. A red-headed dude that looks like Esau from the Old Testament running, I've got to see it. Hey, get involved in a small group. There is a variety of tracks that will help you grow. Don't miss it, please. Number two, you get involved in a small group. Number two, start reading, meditating, studying, and memorizing scripture. It was the greatest game changer for me when I first got saved. I got in a small group. I did life with other people. But man, I got into the Word. The YouVersion Bible app, I'm telling you, it's dummy proof. You're capable. If you download the YouVersion app, there's all these different Bible translations on there, ESV, NASB, you name it, they're there. There's devotional plans. We've got a thing called Right Now Media. Right behind Steve, back in the back today, there's buckets set up, and you're like, Right Now Media? It's got about 10,000 different teachings on it. 
And, and all you got to do is say, hey, I, I want that. It's a free subscription tool that we're giving you. Just, just get on it. You want to study apologetics? It's there. You want to study finances? It's there. You want something for your kids to watch? It's there. And they're all Christ-centered with great teachers like Chan and Piper and others. Even Esposito's on our home page doing some teaching. I turned it on the other day, and I'm like, the Italian stallion, baby. Come on. We're representing. So do that. Third, get a mentor. Get somebody who's walked a little bit longer than you in your life. Hey, hey, help walk, help walk with me here. And there's, there's guys and gals right now that would love to come alongside and walk with you. Hey, hey where you at? What's going on? And we can pair you up with people in the body that, one, it gives them worth going, yes, man, I'm able to help somebody, but it helps you in the process. You, you can't be a long ranger and win. You've got to have help. And then, then four, learn to worship as a family. Seeing my kids get into the Word, seeing my kids engaged in worship, seeing Barb walking in there in the morning, I'm like, she's warding out. Look at her. She's fired up. Man, there's nothing like it. Then what that does is it leads you to being able to worship with other people. Man, you sit around and we bless each other and we encourage each other and we dog each other and all this kind of stuff we do because we're family, but we do. We try to speak blessing. Hey, come on. Stay with it. And we brag on each other. And we bother each other. And we do all kinds of stuff with each other, but we're family. But when I see my family worshiping, I'm like, so cool. You're a new believer? Hey, walk in these truths. You know a new believer? And they're starving for somebody to put their arm around them? Come alongside. It's teed up. All of these teachings are online. They're a tool to help you help somebody else. Be a disciple. Be a disciple maker.